Welcome to Laughter for All. It's the podcast with comedian Nazareth. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Laughter for All podcast. I am comedian Nazareth, and you know the Laughter for All has podcasts have been going on for over a year. And until the pandemic, we're just bringing comedians who just make you laugh, and we talk about life and how comedians' lives, but. Since the pandemic, we started to find ways to help you out. So we started bringing people like last uh, week, we had a couple that talks about conflicts in marriage. We had people talk about uh, how to do Zoom and how to, you know, improve. You know, Phil Cook was talking about your, you know, social media and how to increase your influence. We had Josh McDowell talk about how to share your faith with people. And we had different uh, Dr. Mark uh, who was talking about nutritions and different places. Well, today I'm bringing a friend of mine. He's a comedian. He's also a creative director, creative. He's a writer. He writes scripts. He teaches script writing at Biola University. And I'm going to officially introduce him. He's known for being both clean and wildly creative. Jim Hope headlines clubs and colleges across the country, made over 60 television appearances, performing on NBC, ABC, Fox, Comedy Center, and E&E. Additionally, he has been a frequent contributor to KABC Talk Radio in Los Angeles and was the comedy field correspondent on NBC's Letter. Jim is also accomplished TV writer and producer, excelling in that capacity for NBC's Later, Fox's Titus, and ABC's George Lopez. And Jim's work can currently be seen on Nickelodeon. He's done the, uh, A Dog with a Blog and different other, uh, you know, Planet Sheen. And he's just an amazing man. And right now he teaches script writing at uh, Christian universities like Biola and uh, the other two I don't want to mention. Yeah, I can't mention. Yeah. So welcome, uh, Jim Hope. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hello. Hi, everybody. Yes. Hello. You know, Um, it's funny. I've known you for many, many years. Yeah. I met you before I saw you on stage. And you were just this quiet person very nice and sweet and serious and you know and then one time you went on stage and the first you think you did you jumped off the stage into the people in the first row and you started screaming like a dinosaur yeah yeah, you made them repeat after you it was so funny that was yeah that was my old days uh yeah (laughs) yeah 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 i'm not that i'm not that shy and retiring i just when i meet people i'm quiet and i don't want to there's, there can be a lot of me. I don't need people to, you know, I, I, you get to a certain age, and you realize there's a lot of me. So when I first meet people and stuff, or when I talk to people, I, st- I just let them not have too much of me. And then I go on stage <laughs> and, and then there's a lot of me. So that's, that's you know, you, yeah. there's a whole now, lot of, you know, no, you have the different uh, and you've done different things from producing to creative directing to writing to comedy and stuff. If you can only pick one, if you say, you know what, uh, God looks down at you and said, Hey, Jim, I want you to do just one thing. What would it be? Well, you know, he he actually specifically said not to do one thing. So I don't know what the answer in that is. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I keep on getting things thrown my direction that are things that I, I really love. And I love teaching uh, tremendously. I mean, I, I, it's it's been, I, I, it, I fell into it. It was one of those things I'd wanted to do my whole life. And then, you know, my grandfather's a professor at Pepperdine and all those other things. So for me, it was like, oh, that'd be a great life. But I was a stand-up and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a stand And then the stand-up became writing and I fell into that, you know, I just led into that. And then 
that was terrific. And then, you know, really honest with my writing and my producing informs my teaching. So I kind of need to do both. It's all part of the same thing. If I, if I don't stay current, I'm not really going to be as useful for the kids because my approach is kind of to, to let them know and, and to see what's actually happening right now in the business. And so I kind of have to be right now in the business. Uh, for my side to work, because that's that's kind of the angle that I come from. Although there's some fantastic teachers uh, at, at many universities who teach the same subject matter who aren't working like I work, but they they have tremendous insights and, and also. So it's just, that's my way of teaching. That's my way of, of reaching the kids. So, you know, honestly, I, I have a lot of energy. Uh, so if I, if I, I think I'd drive my wife crazy if I didn't have a bunch of different things I was doing all the time, because I'd just be around the house just, you know, coming up with ridiculous things to do with the carrots, you know, uh, let's, let's plant the carrots outside, honey. It's like, why? We, we, they were already grown, and, but I would still do it because it's like there's something to be done. So there's Are you two- ADD? No, you, no, that, no, 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 no. I have an IQ of 190. So when you have that, that kind of an IQ, you just kind of, no, I'm just kidding. I made that up. Yeah. I'm probably ADD. Uh, <laughs> I was never diagnosed, but yeah, uh, no. yeah I, my brain moves fairly quickly, but I don't really, believe, I mean, you know, I think that a lot of people are diagnosed for things that, that aren't really a problem. It's just, that, they want you to, they want you to sit still and be a good little soldier and, you know, do the, do the work set in front of you. And, and not everybody's built for that. You know, there's a lot of kids out there that, you know, it kind of, get pegged, particularly boys, but girls too, get pegged with kind of a label. And, you know, as Kierkegaard said, if you label me, you negate me. I mean, it's, it's like saying, which I learned from watching Wayne's world. It's not like I'm reading, but um, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it really is true. When you start putting a label on something, you go, well, now I can dismiss you and not see you as a full person. I don't, I don't have to deal with you as a human being anymore. I can just kind of say that you have this thing and that's what, that's why your brain moves so fast. You have a, you have a disorder. Well, not necessarily. And, and maybe my brain sketches across a lot of different things, but I, it, it serves me well. And, you know, you just find the thing that, that, uh, that works for you. And, and, and if your brain doesn't sketch across and it's able to focus on a particular task, terrific, good for you. I mean, we, God made us with a tremendous amount of variety and we have a lot of different tasks in front of us. So, you know, I mean, it, however, you're, I, what I try to teach people is, you know, you learn your gift and then you lean into it, you know, whatever that thing is, you lean it, you take the thing that you are and you, you lean into that. And then everything else, you kind of shore up with craft. So you got gift and you got craft. Craft is what you learn about the stuff that you don't naturally do, but what you naturally do, lean into that, you know, learn what it is and lean. And that's, that's kind of my big thing. So that's very important for people listening, you know, going, well, I can't relate to writers and producers and directors, but in whatever profession you are, you lean into that. Let me just, uh, Two questions from what you mentioned. Number one about labeling, and which is really important because right now we're living in a time like, you know, I get labeled, you're a Christian, therefore, uh, uh-huh. you know, you, you don't count anymore. You're this, you're conservative, uh-huh. you're that. Oh, you're, you're Middle Eastern, you're Muslim, you're a terrorist, you're this, you're that, you don't count. So that labeling is happening a lot in our yep. culture. And, and was that part of Hollywood? Like when you, you know, like when, don't you have to stereotype to write movies or to write scripts and to write shows? I think it's actually the opposite. I think I think that's actually devastated uh, script writing is that we start looking at people as not individuals and we start we just kind of see them as categories of people and that doesn't really work. I mean, you know, you need to you need to write stories about people. You need to write stories about specific individuals because that's what we really relate to. Uh, Bertolt Brecht, uh, who wrote Caucasian Chalk Circle and and really kind of from a Marxist perspective 
his his stuff is terrible. I mean, you know, people go, oh, Brecht, but he's awful. I mean, because it isn't dealing with individuals, it's dealing with categories of human. Well, there are no categories of human. I mean, Marx kind of broke this down into bourgeoisie and proletariat as if somehow that's telling you something about yourself. And it and it doesn't. I the truth is I've known way too many people in my life to ever decide that somebody is something because of the color of their skin or because of their religion or because of where they're from. Actually, religion, you can tell something about some people, but but that's because that's a decision. But in terms of, you know, things that you don't decide, like that you're male or female or that you're tall or that you're short or that you're heavy or that you're, well, I mean, I can't tell you really anything about physical characteristics that, that actually define you because I know too, you define you define the physical characteristic. If, if if you happen to be black, your black blackness doesn't define you. You define blackness. Now, of course, there is a black experience in America, and that is a very big part of defining the person. If they if if certain things occur in, in, in a way, I mean, it can define. But even then, you you break out. You you move to the direction that you choose to. I mean, we we have options. We have choices. And some people would say, well, some people because of their choices, because I'm sorry, rather the things that happen to them, they don't have any choice. I've never met one. I mean, it's it's this silly notion. People, these are hypothetical people. And you say, well, what if a person was like this and this and this? They don't have any choice. I've never met one of those people. I've never once met a person who didn't have a choice as to who they were. If you've met one, please introduce them because I know the people that make those objections aren't those people. I, I know those people know that they have choice and that they can make. So, so when you come up with these these ideas again, you're you're creating you know this human that doesn't exist. And in writing, you have to create humans that do exist because they have to live for everybody and they have to be something. They have to be specific. If you don't write specifically, you're not writing. Wow. Now, speaking of that, and you're so every human, you cannot label anyone. You do a joke, which is a part of your real life. You said, hey, my wife is Af African-American. I don't I don't approve of that either. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. It's like, my, my wife is black. I know, I know. I don't approve either. You know, <laughs> People are like, what's but, that like? You know, so well, it's the same as being married to a white woman, except, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of her. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, now you guys have been married how many years? 20 29 years? years. So I'm not 29 afraid. Years. So yeah, 29 no. years, that was the year probably 1993? 91. My daughter 91. was born 93. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 91. Oh, 91. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, you got married to an African-American. Yeah. Was there any, like, you know, pushback from families, from people, from church? Well, no, no, my, my family, I mean, I grew up in, in you know, uh, I grew up in the barrio for a long time. My father was there, my mom, uh, but we were white people, but there were plenty, there were white people there too. I mean, you know, we were around people of all colors. It was never an issue in our family. My, my brother's also, my brother actually married, uh, his it was with his girlfriend at the time, and she's also black. So you know, where's the home? Problem. Where's well, I uh, want to know? Like, grew in, up in the barrio. Which barrio? We were grew you up in, in uh, East LA, North East LA, uh, North not East LA. We lived in North because people go East LA, and it's like, well, you were in El Sereno. That's not that's North East LA. So we grew up in North East LA, Highland Park. That Highland Park's actually gentrified now, but back in the time, there were gangs and stuff. But mostly lovely people everywhere, and you know, that's what you do. Is like, I didn't go well people who are this color are in a gang because I knew too many people who were this color who were not, you know? And so people kind of, they, they, as long as you're set off in an enclave, you don't really see what other people are. And so you don't really get it. But when you actually interact with a lot of people, you can't really, it's hard to be a racist. And, and what I found is actually that there's two kinds of racism nowadays. There's, there's malevolent racism where people just go, well, that person is certain color, so they're more criminal. You know, they're bad, they're evil. And then there's the malignant racism, which is, well, those people are that color, so they're not really bright enough to take care of themselves and they need us. 
you know, and that and that's the that's the side that we're seeing a lot nowadays is the white savior kind of coming in and going, well, we're going to fix it for the black folks who can't think for themselves. Well, there's that's not, there are no black people who can't think, think for themselves. That's that's a racist notion itself. You're trying to save a group of people that don't need to be saved. Um, they're they're fine. Wow. I've never it. heard that. I've never. Well, that's because I just made it up. I'm. I, yeah, my brain. That's, that's right. I love the way you made it up because I could not make it up myself, and I'm like you, 190 IQ. So yeah, we're no, on the same I, level. Maybe, my, mine might be 2,000 right now, and I think you're about 3,000. <laughs> You've got me by. You got me by a thousand points. How'd you do it? That, that's funny. So you know, let's let's dig more into that because I've never heard that. You, you know, speak to that in relation to the Black Lives Matter issue and, and the protest and all that that's going on right now. Well, I, know, I, going on. It, yeah, there's a lot going on, and, and you know what? It's not. It's impossible to unpack in a in a single sentence. I mean, there there are people of of tremendous goodwill trying to make an trying to make a change, and then there are people not of goodwill who are trying to make a different and bad change. And uh, they're trying to get power. But there are, there are other people who are saying, look, this is, there's been something going on in this country for 400 years. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, my country's been here since 1580. So I, my family rather has been here since 1580. So maybe, you know, we were there before and maybe we're the problem. Not actually not. My great, great, grand I have two great, great grandfathers who fought for the union. Uh, and they were in the South. So they actually changed, they actually said, no, we're not, we, they rejected it. So I'm very proud of that. But, um, but we have a history of not only slavery, but then subsequent to slavery and reconstruction and then Jim Crow coming out of reconstruction, which really didn't reconstruct much of anything, uh, kind of reconstructed the, the old South structure, but without the, the, the word slavery, but functionally kind of creating slaves in, in that time. And at least a second class, uh, an underclass that, that wasn't allowed to get traction. So we have this history, although for the last 60 years, almost 56 years, roughly, uh, since 64, the Voting Rights Act, and in the 50s, we were already making changes to Good Marshall and all these other people, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education that overturned Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, which was an abomination of, of 52 years prior. Um, you know, no, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm right. Anyway, the numbers are wrong. 54 and 96, 1896, but I'll do the math later. Uh, 58 years. Um, but the, um, but that, that, you know, the, the turn was happening, the change was happening because of Christians, honestly. It's, uh, Christians couldn't abide uh, slavery. Ultimately, I mean, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, which which started. She was the little woman who started this great big war, as, as Abraham Lincoln said, uh, with a book that said to people, "This is an untenable circumstance." And the Quakers uh, pretty much functionally were the Underground Railroad. Uh, and they said, "We cannot do this." And, and people of Christian people have fought against it the entire time. William Wilberforce in, in Britain uh, or England, rather, changed the world. Uh, you know, in, in getting rid of and, and 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 you know, there's still slavery in the world. I mean, you know, we've got a we've got this, the largest country in the world has a population of about 1.3 billion people who are in forced servitude in large part, um, and they have large groups of people who are making your shoes and your computers, who are you know being forced to work. They're slaves. Um, so it hasn't been abolished, but in the West, we've kind of done, we've done what we, gotten a, a, a big way to that, but, but being black in America for a long time, reading Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, I mean, you see just a portrait of how, how uh, the marginalization has occurred. So you understand what's going on. However, however, there, things have gotten better and they're going to continue to get better. And, um, you know, separating ourselves and, and yelling at each other and, 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 and saying things that don't make any sense, like defund the police, uh, which makes no sense at all. I mean, you know, 80% of pe black people in, in, in black communities don't want the, the police to be defunded. They, they need the police. 
And the one, and, and, and then, you know, it's mostly criminals yelling for it, really, honestly. People who, <laughs> or they, teenagers oh, yeah, who don't know what they're talking about. So I can commit more crimes. Or, or people who have kind of a Marxist agenda because they don't understand that socialism really isn't an economic system, it's a political system. And they're, they're lazy. I mean, the socialists are all people who are functionally like Marx are, don't want to really work. I mean, Marx, Marx lived off his bourgeois wife because he didn't really want to have a job. Because the thing about socialists, if you really dig down deep into it, is they don't want to work because it's hard. And, um, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's where it comes to ultimately is that it's, a, it's the Marxist notion is, you know, I mean, look, it's not true that they don't want to write. Hitler was a socialist and he wanted to work. But, um, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's other kinds. But, but giving, I don't know why anyone would say, let's give all the power to the government. You know, it's, government's evil. They keep on doing these horrible things. Give them all the money. It's like, why would you do that? Uh, you already know that they're government's corrupt. They're always trying to destroy us. Give them everything. It's like, why? That doesn't, that's just a bad calculation. And so it's like, buddy yeah. said, we're going to give you a 50 billion good paying green jobs. Where are they coming from? I don't, you know, you just made it up. He makes up yeah. numbers. So anyway, that's <laughs> you know, it's funny. Yesterday I was in Wisconsin and no Sunday night. And I did a joke about how, how our, you know, our generation, our kids, like they, they want socialism. And says, I said, where were you? You know what? When you were little, remember when I gave you a dollar, give your sister a dollar and you got mad because you did more work than her? I said, yeah. where is socialism? I said, remember, you know, you want the government to take over. You want to go to Disneyland and stand at the Mad Hatter. Have you ever been to the DMV lines? You want to stand at the Mad Hatter and, and get a ride in, in two weeks from now. Like they're going to give you a coupon yeah. and come back in two weeks. Right. And right. so stuff like that. It's silly that sometimes people don't. And then I was saying, like, I was upset at the at the protesters because uh, I, I lived in third world countries and I've seen how, you know, if you ever see people protest in Pakistan and Yemen and stuff, mm -hmm. these guys don't have any money, but they have brand new flags and tires. They actually make, a, a, you know, like a filled, like, the, you know, mannequin of whoever they hate and then they yeah. burn it and they have yeah. signs made by Vistaprint and they're spelled correctly. You're all right. You know, I'm looking on TV. I'm like, there's homeless people who can do better than this. And is this, can you spell right? Is this defend or defund? Is that a U or is that an E? But it's true. You're right. What you were saying It's just out of ignorance. <coughs> a lot of people are pushing for this whole. Well, it is, Marxism. it is, but I, you know, I try to, I try to see it from every side potentially, because I think that's, that's our job in large part. And so I understand the other side of it. And when I say lazy people, that's, that's actually too much of a generalization. What it is also is that we have assistance right now. There, there are people who are jobbing the system. They've gamed the system. They've worked it out so that they get all the money and they keep on doing that. I mean, they're, $8 trillion was given behind our backs in 2008 and, and 2009, 2010 to the banks. And they took that money from us, from Americans. And uh, it was, it, and, and there's a lot of, there's a cadre of people who are enriching a small, small group of people. And, and, and the government is right now focused on that. So I understand why people are saying, well, we need, we need it to be fairer because there are, there are, you know, in a capitalist system and we don't have one currently, a capitalist system, it's supposed to be a lot of competition. There's supposed to be competition between a lot of groups. You shouldn't have multinational corporations. But in order to compete against China and compete against the EU, we made something called too big to fail. And we created what's functionally a neo-mercantilist system where you have a large, uh, the government rather identifies its wealth and the wealth of its large corporations, its large companies. When China owns 70% of every company, not 70% of the companies, but 70% of every large company, they are a corporation. So we're competing with them. So we sponsor our corporations and we give them all the stuff and the same thing in the EU. And so it creates this situation in which a very small group of people 
accumulates a tremendous amount of wealth, but that's not capitalism. Capitalism needs to be restored. We need to get rid of the idea. We need to make it, because here's the thing. <laughs> capitalism takes all the people that are the greediest, right? The most, the most power hungry, the most money hungry, and it makes them compete with each other. So they have to be nice. You know, when you, when you take that away and you put all the money into, you make a small group of people with all that and they don't have to compete, right? They don't have all right. these different companies fighting each other. Then, then they all, again, you accrete all the worst people into one group. That's what happens with the socialist nation is that all the worst people who want the power and want the money, they go into government. And, and that's what you see in China. And that's what you saw in the Soviet Union. And that's what you see all, at every, you know, uh, totalitarian socialist nation, which ultimately any nation that gets away from godly values will become totalitarian because you have to control people some way. And if people don't control themselves from within, if they don't discipline themselves from within, they'll have to be disciplined from without. Um, you, and so, you know, do yeah. you get, do you sometimes get so angry at what's going on or something and then you, to where you go write a character or a, or a sitcom or something about it, or that's not how they are. What, what motivates you to write Jim? Well, you know, I money. I do, <laughs> I do it for money. Of course. Uh, yeah, that's that's what motivates me. I, I like uh, I like money. And no, I, I do it. I actually really like doing kids TV. I kind of fell into that uh, years ago after I was done with George Lopez. I kind of got this job. Uh, Steve Odekirk allowed me to kind of do this uh, one thing, a spinoff from Jimmy Neutron, Planet Sheen, which was really fun. And I really like the kids market. I, I like talking to kids. I think it's an important thing. And, and it's, it, I like writing clean. You know, I think that uh, uh, writing, you know, the other stuff, se sex jokes are easy. I mean, let's just be honest. It's super easy right. to write a sex joke. I mean, it's just not hard. It's hacky. I mean, you know, to me, it's like, eh, okay. I mean, I can throw, I, I, I can sit there and write, I could write 10 pages right now of sex jokes, not hard. Uh, but write a clean joke that everybody likes and everybody gets. Well, it's not easy. And so there's right. a big challenge to that. So that motivates me. I, I really like the idea of that. I like making people laugh. Um, but I don't, I don't look at the world, you know, the things we're talking about, the cultural things we're talking about, you know, I like to give people a little bit of a respite from that. You know, I, I'm saying it now because we're, we're talking about it, but, uh, and, and because I'm trying to be even handed, I'm trying to see everybody's perspective because, you know, it, it's not true that there's one thing that's right. I mean, you know, we just don't, under, well, theologically of course there is. theologically uh, there is yeah. theologically of course but human being human beings as we as we know from uh from uh first corinthians 13 12 we see through the glass darkly when I mean, we, we it, spiritual things and even our own things you know we don't see everything completely now uh you know someday i will know as even as i am known but right now i don't um and there's a lot of things it's like that uh ignoramus et ignorabimus which is i do not know and i will not know now, I disagree with that fully. I, I will know someday, but I, I'm not going to know here. Um, you know, I can't store enough here. So I, I think one of the things that I like about comedy is, and, and working is that, um, you know, we're all looking for connection. And we all want a little bit of a respite from our, our days and, and our difficulties. You know, everybody, lives are hard, you know, and, they, and they're often full of sorrow. And so where, 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 where we can relieve that and where we can say, hey, I understand you. I understand you care about you uh and here's a little fun stuff for you you know i think that's valuable and i think um talking to kids and and you know helping them inculcate them with values that are that are you know uh culturally affirming uh that kind of keep us together as a society is terrific i i, I believe in unity uh you know and all those you know i think the union needs to be preserved but it needs to be preserved cor correctly i mean carl Schurz said my my country one right to be kept right 
when wrong to be put right. And so it's okay to look and say, you know, you're not anti-American if you say, well, this doesn't work, but this does work. And this doesn't work, so let's fix it. But you are anti-American if you say, let's tear all the institutions down, let's get rid of America, let's change it completely, and uh, we'll, we'll just start anew with my idea of what's good. Right. <laughs> mm. Now, now you wrote for George Lopez show, and uh, yeah, that wasn't really clean. I mean, it's uh, it no. was or, no, okay. Uh, it, now, what was, was what was Lopez like? You dealing with him as another oh, comedian? Or? Well, like, like he, George is legitimately one of the best comedy writers, you know, stand-up writers I've ever met. I mean, really? Time, yes, his stand-up was just spotless. The first time I saw him. He was not even yet, he wasn't even a headliner, I don't think yet, but I'd seen him, it was right in the beginning of my career in the late 80s. He probably was headlining, I know he was headlining someplace, because how could right. you have him do that? But but it was, uh, he didn't even know who I was. I was in the back at this uh, club in Ventura, and uh, my friend who uh, was headlining was a friend of his, and he came out to hang out, and he did, you know, he did like 10 minutes just to kind of hang out in a spot, and it was spotless. It was just beautiful. I mean, you know, the writing, it was so clean. I did, I did not know. Oh, that yeah. No, no. He was really, really good. And, uh, and, and, you know, working with him, he's, he's a technician. I mean, the guy knows, he knows where the joke is. He knows how to work it. Now, I mean, you know, he, he's gotten into his, some political bags and kind of done that direction. That's his choice. And, and it, it works for the audience that he's built for himself. I don't, I think that's a very clever way to, to approach your career. Um, because I think, you know, I mean, he knows, he knows what he's doing that way. He really understands comedy in a way that most people, they don't have, you know, that he's just got that and a uh, very distinctive voice. So I, I, you know, I mean, yeah, our show, our show at times, you know, I did sex jokes and all those other things. I mean, that's, that's how shows often are uh, on network, which, you know, is kind of really like why I love kids TV, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's it itself. I mean, I, but, but George himself is a really really talented comic yeah how you said you mentioned earlier like when you do kids uh, you write for kids shows and stuff you still you're pushing for values and unity and stuff but uh, what do you write where you're i mean first of all how many books a week do you read i don't have time i don't read a lot of books i you know i do a lot of thinking but yeah really you do a lot of thinking yeah i mean because you sounded like you read a lot just well when i read it sticks I have a little thing about sticking. It's kind of gets I have a little bit of a sticky thing. I have yeah, a problem well, with that because I read a lot. Uh, you know, reading in a different not... language. <laughs> You're reading a different language than you were born with, so it's a different thing. No, it's it's different. It's a different bent. And I I, I have a I, I did a lot of studying when I was younger. I mean, I still read, but it's like I read. I have this thing. I mean, when I read somebody's book, I kind of get what they're saying about seven eight pages in. And then I'll scan it and go, okay, yeah, I was right. Um, and, you know, if it's a nonfiction thing uh, and I don't, I, that's kind of the thing. I get their ideas and I go, okay. And I mull it over. And, you know, most people kind of, most people don't hide what they're trying to say in their books. Uh, you know, when you're writing, <laughs> when, you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm going to keep this back for the last, for the next 700 pages. Oh, you won't see it for another thousand pages. No, I mean, if they've got a point to make, it's going to be in page six, three, two, you know, I was reading a Hume uh, a while back and on a chapter paragraph 14 is when he says, you know, Hey, look, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm paraphrasing Hume, but he says, uh, you know, Hey, look, uh, you know, we have to kind of pretend that, uh, human beings can understand everything or we can't do real science. 
And then he just moves on and says, okay, we'll, we'll just pretend that. Uh, you know, kind of his way of, of dressing Barclay and Locke, who both kind of said, well, we, we believe that we can understand truth in life because we know that God made it accessible to us, which is the foundation of empiricism. But, but Hume said, well, I don't want to have God in here. So I'm just going to say, let's just accept that we know every, that we can understand reality. And that was early. I mean, most of them say their stuff pretty early, you know. Uh, even That's philosophy. interesting. Yeah. Now, when you write, if you have the option, say, hey, I can only write either kids TV, I can write scripts or I can, for a for a sitcom or for a film movie. What would you choose? Well, I don't really do too many movies. I I, I think they're they're great. I'm I'm more of a short form guy. Uh, I like short. I like writing short. Uh, although I can do the long form, it's just I, I get bored um, the longer it is. Uh, so I mean. You know, to me, writing writing kids shows, sitcoms for kids, or or animated shows for kids, which I've done both, or writing sitcoms for adults or animated shows for adults, or that's functionally the same uh, to me because I, I write, you know, the same kind of. I can be a little wilder with the adults in terms of, you know, uh, well, not entire. I mean, in terms of wild imaginational, you know, mm -hmm. imaginational. I'll make up a word, uh, yeah. leaps, but uh, but that's not actually true either. You know, it just depends. It, it, I like it all. I, I couldn't, I can't. It's like choosing which of your children you like best. Well, actually, I like my daughter best, but still, it's- um, I You only have one. one. <laughs> so it's easy to pick. It's easy for me to say, well, which child do you like best? Well, my daughter. Yeah, I only have the one. But um, but yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, but it, 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 you know, I, I, I like, um, I just like the writing of the process. I mean, you know, it's, it's fun. And I, I really like being in a writer's room with a bunch of people laughing and and, you know, making jokes and doing room bits and kind of goofing off and then breaking a story that works. And, you know, there's a lot of work to it. You can be there a long time, but it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty gratifying when you when you do it. But, it's you know, it's not easy and it's a different kind of job. I mean, I think a lot of people think, you know, oh, TV writer. Well, you must you know, it's just the work keeps coming. Well, it doesn't, you know, uh, always on the hustle. I'm always working. I've got. I've usually got about six, seven, eight different projects I'm doing at any one time. And I've got to keep them all kind of in the air and see which one is actually going to work for me. And it's possible that none of them will. And then I have to find something else that I'm doing. So, you know, that's. How do you, that's... How do you deal with it? Like, I'm, I'm a comedian and, mm -hmm. you know, like you, uh, but yeah. you're in writing. And sometimes yeah. we had seasons where we're so busy. We got all these projects. We're yeah. doing great. And then there are seasons where nothing is going on. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm a hustler too. I keep hustling. Yeah. I don't wait and sit and wait for the phone to. How do you how do you deal with life in that stage? Uh, it, it's it's a hard. It's you know, it, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. I tell my wife, talk to my wife about this. There, are, there, are, you know, there's different ways of approaching this kind of creative lifestyle where you don't have a regular gig. You know, where the gigs are just kind of what you create. You can go look at it as you're a prospector, or you can look at it as you're a fisherman, or you can look at it as a farmer. Uh, the farmer is planting many, many rows with many different kinds of crops, and they're just tending them and constantly working them and bringing in water and trying, finding another row and, and planting some more crops and, and hoping that the sun shines correctly, but you're still, even if the sun doesn't shine, you bring in some lights and you're, you're constantly like working it. You're working your land. Uh, you know, it's like... A, uh, uh, th those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Um, and it's, so you work your land and that's the farmer side. The next way to approach these kinds of creative lives is, and it's a little less good, is being a fisherman. 
so that you're out on a lake or a, an ocean and you kind of find spots and you keep your net out there and you trawl and you're kind of looking and you know there's fish somewhere but you don't know where they are but you're looking and you're working a big space of, you know working a lot of territory and it's really exhausting and and that really is less likely to succeed the last one the least successful thing and unfortunately so many people go this is the prospector who buys one little patch of land and just hopes that a nugget pops up that they just wait for that water to come and they're just looking for that they're panning for gold in that one little spot some people succeed that way very few um you kind of to me you have to diversify you have to be the farmer you have to you have to work those land th those rows and plant a bunch of different crops like you do you know i mean the podcast the stand-up the special i mean all that you do is you're a farmer you know and and that's how you approach this this career and that's how i try to approach it too and that's why i've Teaching for me is part of that. I love teaching and uh, teach at Chapman also. Uh, I teach at uh, Chapman and Azusa Pacific and Biola. Azusa Pacific, I'm now the, uh, the uh, director of screenwriting over there, and that they've been very kind of allowing me to do that. But uh, in Biola, I'm, I'm going in as uh, I'm adjuncting there, but that'll that'll uh, I'll have more classes next semester, which is terrific. But and they're they're doing some amazing stuff, and and I've really been very grateful to be able to be involved with all these programs. Uh, they're terrific and, and the people in them are terrific so but but that's part of my thing then i also have several things i'm creating and uh you know if i've created and, and dealing with some friends who are producers and things and we're uh, putting those out there you know and and seeing seeing what we can make and and you know i have a bunch of friends who if one of my things that I, i'm with them on that it doesn't work they'll do another thing with me that you know something so that, I that's a good relationship yeah. when people yeah 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 different chances I mean, right that, and now you mentioned you mentioned something earlier on when we started you said that i have to keep on writing i have to keep on working so when i teach i'm relevant to what's going on right now, mm -hmm. now what is the difference between right now what's going on right now in the writing in hollywood than when when you were just fully a, a writer well you know it, it's uh well there's two there's there, there, well it's always changing uh what people like changes uh what people are interested in seeing changes the lingo changes uh it's it's in it's it's what's current i mean for a while there people were talking about quibi which is the 11 minute uh shorts that were people they thought people were going to watch on their phones while they're in line for something it didn't seem to have caught hold um, partly because you can do TikTok and watch 90 seconds or 60 seconds in on the line uh, on in a line on on the phone and right. people weren't as invested in the narrative it still may work out but that's one thing they were talking about and they're they're always trying to find a new thing and the new you know you have to be apprised of what's going on in gaming and you have to be apprised of what's going on in the web and in streaming and and the whole world of streaming has changed everything because it's you know shorter form entertainment uh, you have uh, shorter seasons. It's quicker uh, in, quicker out. You're not always on the set. If you're a writer, you're, you're writing for a little bit and then you're going on to the next thing. And you need to kind of understand that so you can, and, and even the structure of comedy and the, the way that people, what people find funny is changing. I mean, uh, if you look at the My Michael Schur's work, I mean, his oeuvre and the people that work with him, it's not just him, but it's those people. It's like the good who was place. was that, Michael who? He did uh, the office. He was on the office and then Parks and Rec is his. Brooklyn Nine Nine is his. The Good Place is his. It's a very, it's a very. I, I don't want to say sweet because that can that can sound uh, demeaning. It's it's very. It's a it's a, a found family. 
And it's where people accept each other's weird and where the selfish people are really the problem in a group and where in large part, your problem comes from outside your group and everybody kind of forms a community. Uh, and I, and I think it's lovely. I mean, the things, the stories he tells the, the way, the way his shows and that, not just him, but those guys, they have a really interesting angle and it. it's at the parks and rec is such a, it's an endearing show with very sweet people in it and people who like each other, you know, and I think people are looking for that kind of connection. And, and for a long time, sitcoms were very much like, you're fat. And here's a joke about that. And, you know, you got a big head. And here's a joke about that. We did those on Lopez. They were hilarious. Um, but, you know, you know you, you've, you're this and you're that. And here's a label for you, which we did do. And here's the joke about that. Whereas I think Michael Schur and a lot of the stuff that's happening now is very personal. It's very directed. It's very specific about who that person is. Uh, for example, the, the show, and this is not a show I'm recommending to your audience. Uh, there's a show called Fleabag. It went through two episodes, two seasons. Very, it's 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 um, well, yeah, it, it's it, I, it's very blue, and and it goes very much into the sexual areas that doesn't need to probably, but maybe does because that's the show. But I will use that as an example just because it's a very personal story and it's a very very directed at a very specific person, and that's the market. I think we can do that with anything if you understand who people are. And you really dig deep and find and find the human story, which helps us with connection and all those other things. It's less label, you know, uh, by and large. And I, I didn't mean to label the show by saying yeah. it's profane, but it is fair. I mean, it's not for your audience, um, but uh, I it is it is well done for what it does. And what it does is it says this is a human being with these feelings and this is her her walk through life. Watch her. And uh, she's a terrific actress and a terrific writer. And, um, you know, you will watch uh, her if you watch that show. I'm, again, don't watch it. Uh, if you if you have a Christian bed, it's not really for you. Um, no, I don't know why. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's not, yeah. But, but how do you read people? How do you, uh, Jim Holt, how do you read people so you go, maybe one day I write a, char a character on that person or something? I, you know, I, I don't really, I, I, that's a really interesting question. I mean, if I was writing for somebody who already had a comic voice, I would write, I would listen to them a lot and I would try to figure out what their life was and what would be interesting to them and interesting for them to, 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 to delve into and the kind of stories that would come out of that. And uh, that, that's, that's really what I would do for that person. And then what you do is you build a show. If you're going to build a show about an, around an individual, you find that person and you find the things that are, you know, uh, unique about them and unique about their story and and you kind of you kind of fold that into them and kind of uh, you know not fold it but you kind of wrap them up and you kind of see what it is without extracting them from it then you understand what the salient qualities are that you're going to really be able to get story from and you kind of create that character that is them and that they play and then you put people around them who are obstacles or who are helpers and you know because that's that's how you build a show you know you have to look at who's going to generate story who's going to uh, if does the premise of your show generate story do the people generate story where where does all that come from and so that's how i do that you know i mean i kind of just see how when i start trying to create a show or, or work on a show with somebody who's already created the show and, and they want me to come help them kind of help you know mold it into something that's what i'm looking for is the voice of the lead uh, the protagonist and seeing how everything can move forward with them and uh, you know some people you know, some people do an amazing, amazing job with that. And, uh, you know, that that's that's what that is. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I know a couple of years ago you called me and said, Ned, I need to do a sitcom about your life. 
Now, is sitcom still actually, is there, is there people still a market for sitcoms? Um, that, that's a really interesting question. It's like, I, I, yes. Yeah, I, I'm sure, you know, it's not, it's not dead. You know, it, the idea of it is not dead, but it has changed. It's mostly single camera now. And, uh, you know, it's not usually, it, well, there's actually, it's not true entirely. There's CBS still does plenty of multicams, which is in front of a live audience. The difference between single cam and multicam is this. Uh, a, a multicam is usually in front of a live audience or on a soundstage, at least, on sets that are kind of set. And they would be done in front of an, a, a crowd, even if they're not done in front of a crowd. Everyone will block and shoot them. But, but it's done that way, and it's done like a play almost, where you're kind of almost playing to the, to the crowd. And, and it's more theatrical. The jokes are bigger. The jokes are more blunt. Their jokes are often, you know, as jokes, as joke lines are usually funnier. You know, they're just, mm. they sit by themselves. They come off the page funny. Uh, there's yeah. some character development. There are character laughs to be had. Uh, I think Raymond did a fantastic job of having character laughs with jokes. They did a tremendous job of, of, of melding both of those things together. Um, but, uh, you know, CBS has a lot of big jokes. Like Big Bang Theory is an example of that. It's like jokes. You know, here's your yeah. character. Characters are funny. We have strong characters. We know who they are. They have strong voices. You get great actors and they make it funny uh, along with the writing being funny. And so that's the one side. The other side is the single cam, which is subtler, more, it's, it's more theatrical. The film, it, it's not, there's no laugh track. There's no laughter uh, mm -hmm. usually in, in the thing. The multicam has the laughter. Uh, the single cam, not so much the laughter. There's reactors on the set. There's people who are reacting. The camera does some of the, some of the reactions. Like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the camera is very much active as giving reactions. Like it comes in, pushes in, it pulls out for it almost as if it's the audience. Um, but that single cam thing, it's it's lovely uh, for 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 now. It's what people seem to like now that they want to buy now. It's more personal, and it is more about the characters. It's about the people, and we harder to get into. It's harder mm -hmm. to build an audience uh, because it isn't just big jokes. You can't just always walk in and catch up. You know, whereas ah, a, a multicam, right? You can you can come in on a multicam and see episode fifty-two, and you're in. You know what the show is. You know, the characters are very... Chuck, Chuck Lorre does, honestly, you know, uh, does a fantastic job of giving you a premise that you just get immediately. You know, it's like, you just go, boom, that's the show. Oh, okay. And you walk in, you know, Lothario and his uptight brother are raising the uptight brother's son. It's like very easy to get all the jokes. It's very easy to see what that is. Um, and so that's that part of the success. You know, it's like the, the two broke girls, not his show, but it's very easy to see what that show is. Uh, single cam... You kind of have to be invested in the world. You kind of learn the world and then you learn the characters and then it gets hilarious. Now, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a nice hybrid because Brooklyn Nine-Nine has huge jokes, I think. Very funny on the, the page and, and really, and, and Parks and Rec was hilarious too, but, 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 but and, and nice little character moments, you know, a lot of character moments. So, so it's a nice version. You know, uh, my son asked me to ask you a question and it says, do you have to live the story in order to just to justify writing it. No, not they at don't. all. No, we're human beings. We, I, I, I know that that's a big thing nowadays is that you have to, you know, that people have to be the thing that they're writing, but that's negating our humanity. It's, it's saying, you know, that functionally, if you're, if, you're, um, if you're white, you can only write white people. And if you're white male, you can only write white men. And then who can write? There's no stories to be told. 
And in fact, if you were black, you wouldn't be able to write because you'll only be able to write write black people of whatever, if you're male or female, or you know, you wouldn't be able to, you know, it, it's you have to be able to write. You don't. You do have to do your research, mm-hmm. and you have to know what you're talking about. Like Stephen Crane wrote uh, Red Badge of Courage without ever having fought in a war, without ever having been part of uh, uh, civil war, but it's considered pretty much the greatest book about the civil war, the American civil war, um, because he did tremendous amounts of research. He talked to so many people who had actually been in the war and that's why he had the bent that he had on it and the, and the take he had on it. Plus being human, you can put yourself in, mentally as we're creative people, we're imaginative. Well, we're all creative people. We're all creative in the way that we're creative, but we're creative that way. And we can put ourselves in the mindset of the people in that, in that life. And because we're all human, we're all cousins. And that, that's been the difficulty is people don't have kind of forgotten that we're all actually related. Uh, every single last one of us. Uh, there's not, not a single person on this planet that I'm not related to. You're all my family. I love you all. And uh, I'm responsible for you as much as you're responsible for me. Uh, to the extent that, that, uh, that, that, that you know, we, we live these lives of separation uh, is the extent that we're doing this improperly. So, you know, we're supposed to be connected. Uh, if, if you feel disconnected from other people, tr- try to get connected. Uh, and yeah, our personalities get in the way sometimes and other things get in the way and, and socioeconomic conditions get in the way and history gets in the way. I mean, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things. I'm not Pollyanna. I'm not saying, oh, everything's perfect because it isn't. And, you know, if, 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 if anybody's going to stand up here and say, oh, well, you know, there's no racism. Well, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. I shouldn't call people idiots. My wife hates it when I say that. But um, but I but you're not paying attention. There is racism. There are people who do you know who think of other people as being less than them, who dislike them because of the color of their skin. It's a real thing, and there are people who have been kept down because of the color of their skin. That is a true thing. That has to be addressed. Uh, it has to be right. changed, uh, and it's still occurring. Uh, it, but it's also occurring to people. You know, it it it's occurs all over the world. You know, it's not an it's not endemic to America. Oh no, oh, no. it's not an American thing. No, it's not. no it's, Trust it's, me. It's, I lived overseas. There's levels of, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. There's lot. There's some places where you can go. I mean, you know, people don't recognize it because there haven't been other places. But boy, there are a lot worse places in America when it comes to race, and uh, you know, so you know, and, and separating people. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to have lived it, but you do have to do your research, and you really have to know it. Uh, because we are, you know, we're, we're all related. And, you know, that's my, did that answer it, John? Yes. Oh, they did. Uh, you know, John, your cousin, Jim Hope already answered that. Hey, uh, the politically correct culture right now, what is your thought? Is that hindering your writing? Is that what's going on? I think I like to look at it as good manners. Um, you know, people get so upset about PC things, but, it doesn't hinder me because if I am, if, if someone, what I don't, what I don't cotton to is somebody telling me what I can say. If anybody's going to tell you what you can think and say, and is it going to try to take away your job because you disagree with them? Well, that's the kind of person who would probably have owned a slave because they want somebody to kind of be their slave. They want other people to do what they think. I, so I disagree with that. But most people I find who are, politically correct or kind of live by those things. They're usually people of pretty good will. They want people to be nice to each other and they want people not to be rude. Uh, they want people not to, to pick on people because of the color of their skin or because uh, you know of physical traits that they don't have control over. 
there, there's a there's a matter of manners. You know, I think stand up comedy lost its manners at one point. And so a lot of people are really upset because, uh, you know, it's it, it, they're like, but I just want to not have manners. It's like, well, other people are telling you that you need to that you that you need to be kind. On the other hand, I, I don't like the idea that somebody could lose their career because they're unkind or choose their career because they said something somebody doesn't like. That's that's offensive to me. That's that's the offensive thing to me. But on the other hand, for me, you can't offend me. I'm, I'm impossible to offend because if you say something horrible about me, I'm just going to not care about what you think. I'm not, I still care about you, but I just don't care what you think. You, I'm not going to give you the power to offend me. I'm not going to give you the power to say, you know, you're going to have a bad day now because I said something. It's like, I can't, I'm not going to have a bad day because you think something. I'm going to just go, well, okay, that's your opinion. I don't really care. That's yours. Uh, but you could make my bad, my life bad if you try to, try to ruin me, try to get, you know, help me, you know, keep me from having a career. Me, yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's, a, that's, that's devastating. And that's a lot of 14 year olds sitting at computers quietly on Twitter going, I'm going to destroy somebody's life. It's fun for, for me today. I'm going to go ruin a life. It's fun. It's just a game for them. They're not really paying attention to humans. And we got big corporations going, well, all those 14 year olds said it. We, we got to fire this guy. It's like, well, you're not really paying attention. Well, they are paying attention. They're just going, it's easy. They're just taking the easy way. You know, we'll fire him because these people said that. And it's like, yeah, come on. So I, I disagree with that part. I disagree with what, what some people call cancel culture. Um, I'm not sure if I love the term, but but I, I'm against people being losing their careers or having their careers, you know, afforded because they disagree with other people, uh, regardless of, you know. Uh, but but I, I do think that people need to be kinder to each other. I'm not against that, you know. So the problem that the Christians a lot of time come into is that we often go, well, I don't like PC. And it's like, oh, you don't like people saying things that are not racist? Well, you do. You want people to not be racist, right? Right. And so it's like, you know, you put yourself on the wrong side. You have to kind of, you have to kind of understand what the impulse is, deal with the impulse toward PC, and then take away all the extra stuff that actually gets in the way of our humanity and gets in the way of our uh, communication. Uh, you have to kind of like dig in. And, and so that's the problem. That's actually goes back to the beginning. It's like when we call it PC, we're labeling it. It's like it, it and then it, we, so we can negate it and we can say, oh, well, that's this and that's this, 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 this compendium of reactions and I'm against everybody who is PC because they're all these things. And it's not true. I know too many people who are, would be considered PC, but they're very nuanced in their perspectives. And mm. so we have to get to know people as human beings and kind of not lump them into categories and kind of say, well, this thing, this specific thing that you're doing is, un is unhelpful. So let's not do that. But this other thing that you want to accomplish is probably pretty good. So let's try to do that. And kind of, it's hard. That's the, that's the reason it doesn't happen. It's hard. It's hard to be nuanced in your intellect. It's hard to be uh, to be careful in in, in what you think and 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 how you address life. It's hard. It's hard, and people don't want it hard. They want to kind of go. I don't like them because they're liberal. I don't like them because they're conservative. Mm, I'm done. I'm done thinking. I don't like the liberals. I don't like the conservatives. Bing 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 bing. Well, I happen to like a lot of people of a lot of different elks because they're humans and we're friends. So that's. that's you know, that's awesome. Now, let's say someone's watching right now and they go, hey, I have a story in my head. I have a movie in my head. I have something that happened in my life that, man, I think it would be great. I have a story which oh, I think it will be great to write. How do they start if they've never written before? What do you recommend? 
Well, you know, a writer writes, uh, you know, you just got to write. Uh, there's some good screenwriting books out there. I mean, I don't think that many. Uh, I, I, I don't really recommend a lot of screenwriting books. A lot of them are, you know, it's like, here's five different ways that start with R that can get you started. It's like, oh, okay, great. You just sat down and you weren't in a room. I mean, a lot of people try to tell you how to be a TV writer and they've never been in a room or, or they only know one room and they wrote in one. And so, you know, there's a lot of different ways. But I say, you know, excuse me, you got to write and see if you have a knack for it uh, and try and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and, and go to school, go to, go to one of our schools, uh, you know, uh, come, come to film school. There's, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I know the APU has some fantastic teachers. I know Biola. Just take a class, just take one class. Yeah, they have tremendous teachers at these schools, you know, I mean, and they've done it and they know what they're doing. And so, yeah, I would, I would uh, recommend that everybody kind of look at their, uh, their, uh, you know, where they live and, and what they can do and, and take a class, uh, you know, it's worth it with somebody who's done it before or, you know, somebody, uh, you know, or, or, Hey, look, go on the web, get a script of a show that you really like and write a, write a, write a sample of that show. It's called a spec. You know, you yeah. write a spec of an existing show. If you really like a show, get, get a sample of the script, figure out what the format is, get final draft or screenwriter or one of those writing programs, Celtics, I think. And, uh, put it on your computer and just kind of look at how they do the story and watch a bunch of the episodes and see how they structure their story and then mm. write an episode and see if you have a knack for it. And then if you kind of, it, it seems pretty good, write another one of another episode of it's another series and then write your own original and just kind of, you build your, uh, you build a portfolio. Uh, a lot of people say they want to do something and they never do it, but that's because they don't really want to do it. They just want, they want to be in the position to have done it, but see, to want to be a writer means you got to write. You know, when somebody says, I wish I was a writer, well, then go write. I don't, that's a lot of hard work. Well, then you don't really want to be a writer because it is a lot of hard work. Lawrence Kasdan said, you know, being a writer means you always have homework. Well, we do. And so if yeah. you always like having homework and you always like having something to do, then it's a great job. But if, if, if you don't, if the writing itself is a pain to you, it's a labor, it's just like it doesn't come out naturally, well, it's probably not for you. So, you know, I mean, I, so many people say, I want to be an actor, and then they don't go act. You know, and they, they just go, what they really want is they want the fame of being an actor or they want the position of being an actor or they want the money of being an actor. They want the cars and the people, you know, surrounding them of being an actor, but they don't really want the work of being an actor because being an actor is work. You actually, mm. there's a craft to it. You have to develop and you have to kind of really dive into that. And, and, you know, to be a good actor, you have to do something. Uh, you have to do that, you know, and the same thing with directing uh, and, and writing very much so. Uh, and comedian, you know, come on, Nazareth, we know so many people who came to open mics and who said, I'm going to be a comic. And they had five minutes that they did for the next 10 years. They never wrote another joke. They, they always did the same things because they kind of wanted to pretend to be comics and they, they, they're not comics. You know, I mean, they say they're comedians because they have five to 10 minutes of material. They never worked the road. They never worked a you know, venue. And it's like, okay, great. You get to say that. But you don't really want to do it because you don't really want to do what we do, which is right. it's it's not easy. You know, I mean, that's, I'm, you know, that's it, right. Which is a sense? lot. You see a yeah. lot of people right now. I mean, before it wasn't like everybody's a comedian slash comedian. You know what? Carpenter yeah. slash comedian, actor slash comedian. Yeah. And there's yeah. all these people like, where did they all come <laughs> from? And yeah, all and that. They didn't come from anywhere. They're just I mean, you know, it's like it's not <laughs> they come from everywhere. And then they go, well, I got. I'm going to go tell some jokes and now I'm a comedian. It's like, yes, I mean, 
technically, you know, if you stand on stage and tell jokes, you're a comedian, but it doesn't make you a comedian. It just, right. it, you're doing, you're a comedian, I guess, while you're doing it. Um, I, I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's a strange distinction, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, there's a lot of people who want something, but they don't want it. They don't want, they don't want what it actually is. They want the outcome of it. That's and, true. you know, that's, it's, I mean, anybody can get rich, rob a bank, you know, uh, so many people want to be rich, you know, but they don't want really to want to do what it takes, the hard work, the daily and the risk, the tremendous, you know, when people say to, to people who are wealthy, and I'm not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but when they say to people who are really wealthy, you say, well, you know, just share your money with us. It's like, but you don't know the 20 to 22 hour days that person probably put in to get there if they didn't inherit it. And there are people who inherit it, but but it, the, the 20, I mean, I know writing, I put in 24 hour, I put in 24 hour days before I put in, you know, seven Wrote days a week. for 24 hours. Straight. Oh, no, no. I've been on a show. Yeah, absolutely. Where we, we, where we were in the writer's room for the whole day, uh, all the way, all the way through it's happened. I've also been on shows where for weeks on end, we didn't take a break. You know, we, we worked every, uh, every day and our short days were 10 hours. Our long days were were 16 to 18 hours, sometimes 20. I've worked 22 hours on some shows where that was just, that was a few nights that week where it was 22 hours. You slept for an hour a night. Uh, you know, it's wow. like that happens. And how can uh, you well, be creative when you're that tired or that? It's tired? hard, but it, it was coffee. They have something called coffee, Nazareth. It's oh. fantastic. I don't know if you've heard of it, but, uh, it, you know, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so so we 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 drink uh, coffee and we come in and yeah, you have to take a break from that. You can't do that continually. There you go. See, that's not a cup. That's like nine cups of coffee. That's the one thing. That's one of those. I'm going to trick my doctor kind of things. When the doctor says, "Well, confine yourself to one cup," and it's like this big. This big. One. Yes, I would, oh, I'll just have the cup. That's hot. See, that's yeah. that's great for everybody. Uh, like if someone is listening, you know, this is not talking about writing. We're talking life. When we yeah. talk about being a farmer and being a prospector and being a, hunter, a fisherman that's talking about life when we're talking about if you want something really bad enough you, do you really want it or you want the outcome you're not willing yeah. to put the work in it that's powerful now what about someone who just wants to write a story about their life or a book how do yeah. you what do you what do you say to them i say do it i, I say reckon here's the thing these this is great uh first outline it give yourself a chance you know, don't just start writing and go, oh, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Outline it a little bit. Figure out a structure for yourself. It doesn't have to be a perfect structure. It doesn't have to be a structure that anybody else has done. You don't have to copy anything, but outline it. You know, give yourself some idea of where you're going with it. Figure out how it's going to end before you start. So you kind of know where the little thing's going. So give yourself a shot. Secondly, um, write it and, and rewrite it and rewrite it. Understand that writing is rewriting. The first time you put something down, it's not necessarily going to be perfect. Don't don't strive for perfection initially. Don't ever strive for perfection because you're not going to get it. But what you are going to get is you're going to get better every time you rewrite, every time you stay. And don't rewrite as you're going along. Finish it all. Do your outline. Finish the whole thing. That's how I do it. At least some people have other strategies. Um, but 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 I say write it all out and then look at it. Let it sit and then come back and rewrite it and see where you think it could be better and where it could be. And just kind of kind of dig in it you know it, it's that it is really every journey begins with one step you know but it really you know it, you have to step on dry ground i mean you don't it, it, if it's a journey where you one step into the ocean you're going to drown so you know put yourself on dry ground put yourself in a place where you can actually get that get that journey started write your outline 
know where it's going. And then understand dry grad also in your mind. This, this is going to get better. I'm going to get better. I'm going to continue to get better. Don't, don't, don't judge your outcomes and don't judge yourself. And don't worry about what other people are going to say about it. Just if it's in you and you really want to tell your story, tell it. And also, who says it has to be a book? It could be a short story. Who says it has to be a short story? It could be a poem. It could be a non-rhyming poem. It could be an epic poem. Do whatever, however, do it in a web series. How, you know, however you tell the story best, tell that story. You don't have to do it a specific way. You know, do the, do the thing that, lean into the thing that you are that, 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 that captures your, your, your specific and particular bent, you know? Um, and that's one of the things I love teaching people. That's, that's awesome. Okay. Do you like, let's say you're sitting and writing, you said sometimes you have 22 hours. Don't you have like, for me personally, my brain is just like this nagging teenager. Eh, I don't want to do this right now. Can we get, can we play some games first? Can I play a game before we start writing? Can, and then two minutes, can I get some coffee? Can we get coffee? My stomach, I'm hungry. Can we eat something? Then we can write. And the whole day, it's like you're trying to focus. And there's, do you get yeah. that? What are you, how do you do Yeah, that? yeah, all the time. I mean, you know, that's normal. That That's, it's, it's, you've, it's avoidance. And, and, you know, part of the reason, part of the reason I don't have as much output that isn't for money is that when it's for money, I got to finish it. Uh, you know, when it's just for me, yeah, it's hard, but I mean, I always, what I do is I always put the goal of money. Uh, I always go, I can sell this, I can sell this, or I'll try to sell this, or I'll try to sell this. And so that kind of keeps me, keeps me motivated because yeah, it's hard to sit and write things unless, you know, uh, you know, unless it's just your fun kind of writing. Like I write poetry and stuff like that. I love doing it. It's really fun. It's really easy for me. I, I like it. I like verse and all these other things. It's terrific. But our, our little philosophical tracks, but they're short. You know, I just write it and I just get it out of my head and it's it's written out and I have it. And it's like, okay, terrific. I did that. I like that. But but longer form, uh, you know, uh, scripts and things like that. Yeah. You're, yeah. Everybody gets distracted. Everybody. So, well, not everybody. Stephen King apparently is able to sit down and write for eight <laughs> hours. You know, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, I think, did four hours a day. Uh, some some people are like, they're machines. Uh, is it Guy de Mopassan? who would just sit and just like machine gun for like two or three hours just and just put tremendous amounts of material out. Some people can do it. It's, you have to find your, your, way of, your way of writing and your mm. style. Some people, uh, you know, can just, they can just turn it out. And some people it's, it's more inspiration. But if you're going to make a living at it, you have to find a balance to where you're, you're going to do it every day, where you're going, you're going to be disciplined enough to sit down and get it done and if that means that you have a, a mug of coffee that you kind of sip as you go along, or you chew gum, please don't chew gum near me. I have misophonia; it bothers me. Are you serious? Uh, you like John, my son? Yeah, he no. Cannot, it's we cannot chew gum next to him. Nobody. Yeah. He gets I'm, so yeah. angry. Yeah, You're no. The same I, way. Angry. It's angry. Yeah. There's actually a thing in my head. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, but but yeah. if you chew gum or something, whatever you do that keeps you uh, motivated. I mean, I know a lot. Back in the day, a lot of writers used to smoke because it was just this thing. And it's like, I think Lillian Hellman talked about it specifically, you know, why, you know, the, the attachment to this thing. But mostly what it is, is it's a way to procrastinate while you're not procrastinating. It's a way to take your mind off this thing that is a labor of love. Writing, writing is, you know, writing in the moment, it's an interesting thing. When you write, you're not living, but you're writing about living. So it's, it's actually antithetical to what we do as humans because we live. So in those moments that you're recording a life, 
you're not actually living a life. And there's something in you that says, but, but I should be living a life. I should be doing these other things. But, but so there is a, there's a tension in there, but regardless, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of uh, disciplining yourself. If you want that outcome and you, you know, if you want to be this, then you have to do this and you have to be this, you know, you, you, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's like if somebody wanted to be a coal miner and said, I want to be a coal miner and they just never got into a mine and they never chipped away at the coal, then they're not, they don't really want to be a coal miner. You know, I mean, in, in football, they say, in the NFL, they say players cut themselves, you know, uh, you got to do work. You got to get in the gym. You got to do the, the stuff that you got to do. And, and, you know, of course, steroids help, but um, <laughs> the, <laughs> sorry, NFL, but we know it's true. Uh, anyway, uh, no, but I, I'm not playing, but, but the, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the NFL is, you got to do work and, and there's plenty of people who want your job. So they, you get cut if you don't do your job. Right, yeah. right. Um, That's true. You know, it's funny when I, when they used to do tours with a, you know, tour with a tour bus and all that, the driver was always smoking because you know what? We finish a concert, you get on the bus at 10 at night and then they drive till like six in the morning the next day. And the first complaint when we first do it like, yeah, you know, it can't be smoking on the bus. And then you think about it, you go, he said, that's the only, if you don't want to die, or if you want me to go in the ditch, that's the only thing that keeps you awake. And he had this whole yeah. box, so he wasn't bothering anybody in the back. Right, right. It's, it's for it's him. true. Now, yeah. where can people, do you have classes online that people can sign up for, they can take to learn? No, I don't, I don't teach online. I teach just at the universities. Uh, do they have online classes that you're teaching that they yeah, can Yeah, they do. I mean, you, you, I think you have to be enrolled in the university, but you contact them and see about that. There's, there's tremendous programs. I think we have a, a graduate program at, uh, well, the graduate programs at both Biola and at, uh, and at uh, Azusa Pacific. And depending on your bent and the way, the direction you want it, because they're very, they're different universities. They're both Christian universities. They both have a, have a, a they have a similar and different mission, which I think is tremendous. And so you just kind of do your research on which university is better for you. Uh, I think they're both wonderful and they both serve a completely different uh, group of, of Christian folk. And so I think it's, it's really wonderful. I mean, the way that they're, they both have a mission, you know, and yeah. so that's great. And then I'm also at uh, Chapman. I don't teach the graduates there, but, but, you know, I teach the undergrads there, but um, if you, if you want to, um, if you want to do that, you know, you definitely, you should look into enrolling in one of those universities. I know that, I know that the, uh, the graduate programs are not, not super expensive, you know, uh, particularly if you want to, if you want to get a master's degree, uh, you know, it's not bad. It's actually pretty, pretty, pretty decent. Uh, if you want, if you want to get involved in this, you know, sure. Now, do you have any work you, that out there, someone want to read your poems, your short stories, your anything else? I, yeah, my stuff I write, I write for the computers in a hundred years. They're going to, they're going to love it. Um, but I'm not really writing for people now so much that stuff. It's not, it's not really a, that uh, well. I mean, I'll publish it eventually, probably, but people will go, ah, well, kind of <laughs> abstruse, uh, you know. But uh, and Dean Batali, by the way, keeps on uh, texting me. I love uh, Dean. So, I love <laughs> Dean's fantastic. Dean. Dean's Dean's Dean. wonderful, and so he keeps on texting me and rouse. He, I, I keep on looking down. It's like another insult. So it's it's fantastic. He's great. Uh, he's fantastic. Uh -huh. Awesome. But, um, Jim, yeah. thank you so, so yeah. much for your oh, time. Thank you. Really, that was a lot of information, a lot of helpful Good. stuff, a lot of wisdom and knowledge in politics, in life, in in writing and all that. Thank you so much for everything. Sure, I hope I, I was helpful. Yeah, you sure, were very helpful and we appreciate it. And we love you. And if you if the people want to get a hold of you, where can they go? Um, I, you know, I'll probably at the mall, I'll be walking around the mall, just looking for, <laughs> looking for Sephora for my wife, you know, where is that? Where's Sephora is what I'm, no, I, 
I don't really, it's hard. I'm not really out there to be, you know, I'm not, I'm just a guy, you know, but so you they'll contact you. So if people want to hire you for stand-up, they can't. Um, yeah, I don't even know how to do that anymore. <laughs> I just, I just work with friends. If they say, Hey, you want to come do stand-up? I go, yeah, sure. I'm not really trolling for work or anything like that, you know, that way. I mean, it's not, it's, 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 uh, it's, yeah, I, I respect, you know, you guys tremendously who are still out there like, you know, hustling and making it work and, and putting on shows. I mean, you put on, you put on shows with thousands. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's just wonderful. And I think what you do is tremendous and, and really great You're touching so many lives. I'm very proud. I'm very Thank proud you. of your success. I'm I proud really of you and what yeah. you do. And hey, maybe we'll do a sitcom one day. We That'd be lovely. Know. I I would love it. I love your story. I always have. So you know that. I appreciate that, Jim. Thank you Absolutely. so much. For, See you later, my friend. I appreciate Thank you for having you, man. Thank you. Absolutely. So much. Love you too. Okay. Bye bye. -bye.